Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the land of Newsbusters, where we point and laugh when people on Substack write articles titled, Why the Media is Honest and Good. <laughs> oh yes, and the people who criticize media are terrible people. Now Brent Bozell will pounce on this guy just for writing, Media is. Media is a plural. The media are, as in, the media are hopeless. Uh, our top story today is not the media's top story. Try not to be shocked. It's the March for Life, the annual pro-life protest that draws tens of thousands of people to the nation's capital uh, since 1973 when they passed uh, or ruled in Roe versus Wade. Uh, now, this is a peaceful protest, always a peaceful protest not a mostly peaceful protest. Uh, and, you know, it's positively loaded with what the secular fundamentalists call Jesus freaks. Uh, and our alphabet soup of TV networks like to skip it, generally. Curtis Houck had the latest lowdown from the weekend. Friday night after the rally, CBS had 42 seconds. Wow, that's positively massive. Because ABC had nothing, and NBC had nothing. Well, now, NBC had a two-sided abortion story, which you don't often see, but it never mentioned the March for Life. Instead, we had a, uh, a pro-lifer, and then we had an abortionist say, any restrictions mean women are going to die. I mean, they always say that. Now, PBS NewsHour had a decent story on the march, uh, much more decent than I'd expect from public broadcasting. All right, then uh, Saturday morning, uh, ABC had nothing, so ABC was perfect. You know, if you if you belong to Planned Parenthood, ABC is your choice. Uh, NBC had almost three minutes. CBS had a little more than three minutes, and so you add that up, six minutes, ten seconds. And Curtis pointed out Robert Costa's story on CBS actually had pro-lifers in it. Franklin Graham and Abby Johnson and Mike Pence and Christy Noem. And this is kind of what we ask for. Just give pro-lifers, a little time, a little space. Now, on Friday, in real time, my boy Ben abandoned me in the podcast booth, picked up a camera to film with a lovely and talented Tieran Rose Mandelberg. They made a video from the scene, and here she is. Welcome, Tieran Rose. Thank you. Always glad to be here. Now, you can catch this video on mrctv.org, or you can see it on YouTube or Rumble. But let's start with the broadest view. What was this post-Roe March like? How is it different than what we usually see? Well, last year, I can just say it was so much colder. So I'm so grateful that <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit warmer this year. It's still windy, but not as very, you know, it was frigid last year. But I was, I was kind of surprised. I was expecting more protesters than there were. Mm. But there were still protesters, of course, because that's their main job. I swear they're paid to come out there and like, I don't know what they do for work that they're free so much because they're the same people every time. They're the same people I saw this whole summer when we were at the Supreme Court waiting for the Dobbs decision to come out. They're the same people I saw one random day at the congressional baseball game who were, you know, advocating for climate, you know, against climate change, like all this stuff. So they're the same people. So at this point, I'm like, this must just be their job. But I don't know. I was kind of expecting um, more aggression, but 
what I did see a lot of is just blatant stupidity. Yeah. Okay. So now we'll get into the specifics. Yes. Yeah. Now we should say, obviously, the marchers are protesters, but it's sort of a different thing. And of course, mm-hmm. right now, they're not really protesting the way that the the Supreme Court came down. Um, but it is, you know, usually it's a pretty joyful event. And yes, then the then the pro-choicers come in and kind of ruin it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> As you suspect. So... Uh, you know, you tried to engage with some of the pro-abortion people there by simply asking, what is an abortion? I mean, that's a pretty open-ended question. And still, some sort of thought it was a trick. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. One lady, I, she was the first one I had asked. And she's, I said, you know, I said, what are you out here for? I started pretty, you know, general. What are you out here for? Do you have a message or anything like that? And then I said, well, what is an abortion? And she was refused to answer. I think that's a foolish question. No, I think, yeah, I, I don't think I want to answer questions. And then she went around and I was telling Ben, our camera guy, I was telling him she went around. You could tell that she was telling all the people, don't talk to her. Don't, don't, don't let her ask you any questions. She's a probably a right wing extremist who wants to force birthers. They call me a lot. But uh, yeah, they, the the people were pretty dumb. One guy said um, he was just honestly so confused. I really felt bad that I was even asking him questions. <laughs> I, I would was, call him Parka Man. Yeah, I <laughs> was. I felt really bad. I was like, okay, you know, can you? He really was just saying the abortion bumper stickers that you see all the time. Abortion is a fundamental right. Bans off our bodies. He just kept reiterating the same slogans that you see, but. He couldn't really tell you anything. I said, what is what is an abortion? And he said, uh, he just kind of said, uh, um, 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 and he got so confused and flustered. I, I felt bad, honestly, but he basically said that as long as a baby isn't fertilized, it's okay to abort it. And huh? I was like, <laughs> okay. Hey, hey uh, let's throw a clip in here. Well, abortion is a human right, not government property. It's like a choice where a lot when a woman doesn't want a baby probably because she was raped or anything like that. And so she decides to get like rid of like the unborn fetus. Well not the baby, but the unborn fetus. It's not a baby inside. No, it's not a baby inside. Unless, unless it gets fertilized. Yeah, and so I was like Yes, I agree. A baby that's not fertilized isn't a baby. So that wouldn't be an abortion. That would literally just, you you weren't pregnant. You know, once a an egg is fertilized, then it's a child. That's, you know, what science tells us and what I believe. Uh, but he clearly just didn't know what he was talking about. So he, he just kept reiterating it. And then he, you know, at the end, he was like, I think I confused myself. And I was like, I think yeah. you, I think you did because because unfortunately you don't know what you're saying. It's clear that they're just out there, you know, hopping on the bandwagon, doing what they think they should be doing. Same well, with I suppose the, he was there to hold a sign. He didn't expect anyone to ask a question. That's exactly right. Same with the you know, I saw a lot of girls that were probably a couple years younger than me still in college that you could tell that they really just wanted to be there because they thought that they were being cool. They thought that holding these signs and, you know, standing with their fists up or jumping in front of pro-lifers signs. They thought that that was going to add some clout to them, you know, boost their ego a little bit. And I think it did. Honestly, they they felt pretty entitled to be there. But realistically, if I'd asked any of them, probably 18 year olds, if they knew the procedure of an abortion or what it is, I pretty much can guarantee they would have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, um, 
one of the encouraging things about the March for Life is that there are a lot of young pro-lifers there. But, you know, the, the, the one we all remember now is Nicholas Sandman and the way they somehow suggested he was had an evil smirk. <laughs> he didn't say anything to a guy who was banging a drum in his face, but somehow he was the evil one. I mean, so we wouldn't expect everyone to attend. Um, a protest to be an articulate spokesman. That's absolutely what you discovered. The other one that I was amusing that you sort of led with was a uh, a guy who was basically saying, hey, give it anesthesia and suck it out. Yeah, that one. I was telling Ben, I was, you know, I was like, I'm wondering, I, I just kind of want like the one, the one guy that's going to say something nuts. And we were on our way out and we're like, let's just stop and ask this guy. I mean, I doubt he'll say anything because he's been here all day, but we'll see if he has anything to say. And man, did he deliver. He just goes, uh, he, he was just so, so for abortion. He, I mean, let's just play the clip because I don't even know how to explain <laughs> the stupidity of this man. Can you tell me what an abortion is? That's when I think in the first three months, the embryo is sucked out and it dies. Right? Do you support abortion then? Huh? So you don't support abortion then since it's sucking out a child? Oh, yeah. I support it. You do support abortion? Much, yeah. Even though it's a child? Well, the child would have a terrible life. I give it anesthesia and in the first three months. Suck it out. Suck it out. It's the lesser of evils. The thing that stuck out to me was how they always have this, well, they'll never have a meaningful life anyway. It'll probably be a terrible life, so might as well show mercy and kill them. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a lot of the point. You know, that's a point that the left typically makes. They'll say, well, the foster care system stinks or there's, you know, people are not getting adopted, but uh, my family's done foster care our whole lives, and we've had numerous infant babies where people are literally waiting on a waiting list for a baby because they can't conceive on their own. And so I don't know where the truth is in that. I mean, I do think that the foster care system is flawed, but that's a whole nother topic. But that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that a child should be killed because of a potential. Who's to say that the child's going to end up in foster care? Who's to say that they won't be, you know, the, you know, figure out the cure for cancer. We can't really say what the potential is going to be for this child. So why not give it a chance to live? That reminds me of the old TV show, Eight is Enough in the 70s. And of course, the title character had eight kids. And and this was the, the sort of the argument he made to somebody who was at that time, everybody was in the 70s said overpopulation. Oh, my goodness, yeah. it's a terrible problem. And he said, what if my eighth child comes up with the solution to overpopulation? So, yeah, I mean, and it is true as someone we at one point considered adoption. And what you discover is, yeah, there's not a big pool of babies to adopt because usually people don't want to and don't have to carry a child to term. Now, this was this reminds me of the the, the really typical pro-choicer you got on camera was the lady wearing the mask outdoors, <laughs> uh, holding a sign that said, F off forced birthers. And of course, I'm I'm being nice. She had the word there. But uh, and in the other hand, she had a sign. There is no hate like Christian love. <laughs> I'm like, what? But she was on that usual rant that women will die unless they get to be killers. Let's listen. I'm here at the Supreme Court just so we can help vulnerable people that, you know, might not get the option to like go to the hospital or die because they had a miscarriage or anything. All the Christians that are trying to protect the unborn, 
there are people out there that already need need protection and they're vulnerable and you're basically just forcing them to death. So I hope you all realize, realize that. So how did that woman strike you? Man, I, I she was really passionate about talking to me. She was like, can I say my name and like who I am? I was like, oh, sure, girl. Like you have no idea that I am absolutely against everything you're holding, but that's okay. Feel free. Um, but what really got me was that she said, if we, you know, don't have abortion, woman wouldn't get the option to go to the hospital or die. Yeah. But Tim, people die from abortion. At least yes. one person dies from an abortion, you know, the child. And often the mother dies too because people just, you know, abortion is very dangerous. It's like these medication abortion pills. People are, I think it, I don't remember when the year was that it came out, but um rates of going to the emergency room after medication abortion have skyrocketed astronomically because people aren't aware of the dangers that these pills cause, you know, not to mention the other forms of abortion, but women are dying because of abortion, not they're going to die if they don't have abortion. That's she got it all mixed around. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know, when these cases happen, when women die in abortion clinics like at Dr. Gosnell's clinic in Philadelphia. Um we had a case out of Ohio. These are all stories they never want to do because it's like, no, we can't acknowledge that this ever happens, that there is such a thing as a negligent abortionist. Now, obviously, as you suggest, uh, someone dies in every abortion. But, you know, it is kind of mind boggling. We had this episode on PBS a couple of weeks ago where the woman comes on and she, the, the abortionist slash abortion advocate comes on and she says, taking an abortion pill safer than taking an Advil. <laughs> and it's like, for who? Yeah. You know? Uh, now, you also had, uh, you talked to a woman who regretted having an abortion in 1979. This is another thing the media don't like focusing on, which is anybody who's regretted their abortion, anybody who feels guilty about their abortion. Um, you know, it's sort of like they don't like to focus on someone who... Uh, who was transgender and then who mm. detransitioned, but at least that's reversible. Yeah, well, that's because they're only going to show the side that helps their their narrative. Like that lady that that we were just talking about, she was saying she regrets her abortion, and if she, if she had known the truth of what abortion was at the time, she probably wouldn't have done it. And now she, this was in she was twenty six, and I don't know exactly how old she was, but uh, currently, but years and years ago, and she's still having this deep regret from this this procedure as they call it, you know, but it, that, the media is not going to cover that. And they're not going to cover situations where people get injured or die from abortions because they just want, all they want is abortion, abortion, abortion. And it's awesome. And it's a, you know, it's a sign of womanhood or this is the only way to be successful or everyone should get to have this awesome opportunity to kill a child. Like that's the, the climate that we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean this, so, you know, these, you could, they could argue, you know, their argument about the March for Life is, well, we don't have to cover it every year because it happens every year. And certainly these people who usually, you know, carry a sign saying silent no more, you know, are a, are a routine presence at these at these rallies. So let's just get a give a clip of what she had to say about, you know, what she felt. So I made that mistake back in uh, 79. I was 26 years old and I just didn't realize the fullness of truth. And uh, now that I do, um, I just want to share that truth because it'll save your life. You know, if you want to be happy, you got to live in the truth. There's only two ways, the truth or a lie. 
Now, even when they do cover stories they don't like, like the march, the lingo Mm -hmm. is always hostile. I mean, I don't mind anti-abortion. That's like being anti-slavery. But then it's usually more than that. It's because they always got to get their abortion rights in there. So I was hearing this in the coverage I saw. Anti-abortion rights. NPR said abortion rights opponents. Mm -hmm. And, And of course, they constantly use the word conservatives, which is accurate. But it's the flip side. You know, they don't call pro-abortion people liberals or leftists or right or ultra liberals uh you know they don't say pro-abortion they don't say uh, fetal rights opponents exactly I mean, exactly yeah i i saw something at new york times posted a they posted actually some lovely photos from the march where you know us uh raging conservatives were out there with our signs very peaceful um, but you know, they said anti-abortion activists and I'm thinking to myself, am I supposed to be insulted? Like, I think that their point was to sort of try to insult me, but sure. I was like, I sure I'm, I am against abortion. But the second we say pro abortionists, we're like, no, you can't say that they're pro-choice. Yeah. And they also don't like pro-life as we know, Andrew yeah. and Mitchell got upset. Um, and the word does get in usually because pro-life people use it. So if they're going to use a clip of them, the word's going to get in there. Mm -hmm. But as you can see, there's sort of a policing. I mean, Andrea Mitchell sort of did it out loud. We don't use the term pro-life around here. Yeah. So it's, it is, uh, I mean, I guess it's a typical liberal thing, TR, which is everything that conservatives do is anti. It's Mm -hmm. anti Mm -hmm. everything. They can't see conservatives as pro anything. Uh, So that's, I mean, that, I think that's where the objection comes just to anti-abortion. Like I said, it's an accurate label, but it's just everything is they're anti-tax, anti-abortion, anti-choice, right. they're anti-gay, they're anti-black. Because the anti-word has a negative connotation to it. So, and they, they picture us as negative. That's what they think that we are because we <laughs> support life. Well, and that's the thing I think that when I, first time I watched the March for Life, you it, it strikes you. It's like, this is a pretty positive event mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm. and it's a happy event and people uh you know when they're there are are having a, i mean it's it's solemn it's not like a party right right but it's solemn and and it's um, peaceful yeah, yeah. I, last year i was there and i was walking i was behind the camera that year and i was walking in the march and um I heard a policeman talk to his buddy and he said, there's no reason for us to be here. These people are all just singing hymns. Mm-hmm. They're praying out loud. They're saying the rosary. They're just chanting things like pro-life or something just very affirmative and very, you know, sweet. But then, the you know, I watched some of the women's, women's march that was yesterday and they're all just swearing up the wazoo, you know, engaging in altercations or fighting one another or getting in people's faces like. I mean, certainly there's bad people and bad figures on each side. Not to say like the pro-life side is perfect. There's certainly people that I think um, just in general, humans aren't perfect. Well, and some of them are very negative. I yes, mean, some yes. of the speeches are are awfully negative. Yes. And that's, and that's that's to be expected. Yeah. But the March in general, the March for Life, it's not, it, it's, it's very, very peaceful. There's children there. It's not like anybody is wanting any... Uh, assaults or anything like that it's we don't try to engage now to if i may sound truly objective for a minute my boy ben and i went down to the march for our lives the (laughs) the anti-gun protest we went down on a sunny saturday they have their protests in 
on good weather days. I yes, think. I know. I that's always the daring thing about the March for Life is, yes, you never know what you're going to get with the weather. Yep. I've been to some balmy marches for life. Um, but I did, I was struck. We, we Ben and I found some very funny anti-gun signs or anti-conservative signs. And, of course, the stuff that they were saying at the podium, all these 13-year-old and 16-year-old. I mean, all the speakers <laughs> at that thing were under 18, yeah. I think. Or or David Gunn may have been over 18, but do you really, does he sound over 18 when he talks? No. Anyway, but the, I would say the same thing about the mood that day. It was very positive. You, I guess it was spurred when you started talking about kids because these people brought their children. You know, they had their strollers and it was, the spirit was the same. I didn't agree with it. Right. But it was a positive march. The Now, I, I, we wanted, I want to get this in. Underneath the MRC TV video on the YouTube account, MRC TV, you should subscribe. Uh, it has a disclaimer of sorts. Uh, it says in bold, abortion health information, National Library of Medicine. This is apparently a project of the National Institutes of Health. And then it says, an abortion is a procedure to end a pregnancy. You, you notice how the scientists call a baby a pregnancy? Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's dehumanizing. Yeah. It's, it's more dehumanizing than calling a boy a boy. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like they say that they're these big scientists and then they use these terms like that. And I'm like, you're incorrect. And I, you know, barely pass science, but... That's why I'm in journalism. <laughs> <laughs> like many journalists, science wasn't your strong suit. Yeah, but even I know that. You can, you can, I, mean, I would say you can Google it, but Google probably says the same thing. Yeah, I mean, so the end of pregnancy, then it says it uses medicine or surgery to remove the embryo or fetus and placenta from the uterus. The procedure is done by a licensed healthcare professional. Now, again, you've, you've again dehumanized the baby by it being an embryo or fetus. And then the procedure, I'm sorry, is not always done by a licensed healthcare professional. It's mm-hmm. probably the majority. But one of the controversies in the Gosnell case was that they were just using people who didn't have a degree were doing yeah. the abortions. And, and you know, I think that when you, this is one of those things that they don't tell you when you're a pro-abortion media outlet. Abortion lobbies want to, to be able to let le- less qualified healthcare people do the abortions. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a link there. It takes you to a website called Medline Plus from the National Institutes for Health. So then I got cocky. I tried, I went into their search engine. So I typed in the words late term abortion. I'm sorry, no results. Oh. Uh, Partial birth abortion, no results. You know, too specific. My uh, gosh. Gender selection abortion. That I, I knew that I was going to get a no on that. <laughs> but, you know, under just the term abortion, when you first go in there, they have a category called external health links. So I was like, okay, it says there's like 60 something external health links. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on that list just to see what you might get if you're, you know, if you're the average person. Um, and there in the top 10 results was this link. Know your rights. Oh. Reproductive health care. Department of Health and Human Services. So that's, yeah, that's Team Biden. Biden. Yeah, just going to say. No, you can go get an abortion. Oh, my Lord. Now, somehow this disclaimer is not on your video at Rumble. Yeah. Which would seem to be a little advertisement for Rumble. Yeah, no, honestly, because you, thanks for pointing that out, that that was on there. I didn't even know, but it's not surprising. But also the the last sentence, like you said, it says the procedure is done by licensed healthcare professional 
And like you said, that's not happening. Not to mention, I just did a piece this morning about how in New York City, um, the mayor, Eric Adams, he said uh, he he is allocating $1.2 million for sexual health services. And with that, he's including 10,000 medication abortions every single year, which those are just going to be passed out. And that's 10,000 per clinic. There's four clinics. So that's 40,000, not to mention the medication abortion pills that are going to be passed out at the 11 hospitals in New York City. So that's many, many abortions that have the opportunity to be um, executed. And those pills are not going to be, those are not done by medical professionals. You do that in, in your home and then you end up in the emergency room because you're literally spending, you can spend like 30 days in ex- extreme cramps, bleeding, like complete body irritation because you're literally ruining like you're killing something inside you well and this is also the thing they don't explain and that is that the mifeprex the mifepristone that's Mm -hmm. prescribed is not for it's like the ivermectin of reproductive health care i mean it it may succeed in destroying the baby but that's not what the the, what the pill was made to do Mm -hmm. uh now we should suggest as we wrap we'll look up what newsbusters has on abortion coverage you can find tr's video at newsbusters um, Curtis looked also at March for Life coverage or non-coverage over the years, in recent years. Um, Donald Trump actually speaking to the March yep. uh, made a difference. And obviously just, the, you know, last year, that sense that Roe was in trouble uh, got the March covered last year. And then Rich Noise has a flashback, which we put up over the weekend looking back to some of the uh, some of the crazy uh we call them notable quotables over the years. <laughs> Jane Pauley on Dateline NBC, January 3, 1995. This one is one of my unfavorites. The anti-abortion movement has been creeping to the edge of bloody fanaticism for a decade. Yeah. and then <laughs> Love it. This was at a time where there had been a do- an abortion doctor or two that had been shot. Wow. So, but, you know, again, let's take the atypical right, right. and make it the absolutely typical. And then this one's more re- last year, recent vintage. I'm sure you remember this one. Ellie Mistal, one of the crazier people on MSNBC. And that's that's a competition. <laughs> the founding fathers didn't recognize abortion as a fundamental right because the founding fathers were racist, mis- misogynist jerk faces who didn't believe women had any rights at all. Oh, my gosh. I don't I don't get it. I also don't I don't understand this whole idea that it's like empowering to kill somebody like that. You know, women's rights like we had no rights. Nobody has a right to end somebody else's life. That's innocent. Period. Yeah. I mean, I think this is this is where we you know, we engage on these matters. And you say, okay, so you're against capital punishment Mm -hmm. for murderers. But innocent babies, you know. Yeah. That's a that's an entirely different matter. But so. it's more convenient, you know, to kill a baby. So <laughs> let's just get to do it. Yeah, I I just it, on this issue as on other issues, it it really does matter to to just let both sides speak. I don't mm-hmm. know if the I I know the women's march got some attention, but uh, yeah, you guys didn't ruin your weekend and go down and put your mic in their faces. No, no, we I knew that they were just gonna. Be fighting us anyway, but I don't know how many people turned out. I don't know. I mean, I'll have I, to go look at the videos. Yeah. I know I kind of care less, honestly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I think the March, like this year, I mean, 
even though Roe was overturned, there's still so much work to be done. So it's still necessary to have a march and it's still um, important for the media to cover it, even though they probably won't. But well, and this is the thing is they obviously know that from the pro-life perspective, there's work to be done mm-hmm. because obviously we have a lot of blue states. So if Roe versus Wade, what it did was basically send the issue back to the states. Yeah. We've got a lot of Democrat states where abortion still all the rage, as mm-hmm. you suggest, certainly in New York State, that in New York City, that's still the case. And they never want to they, they never want to accept. OK, so we're the racists, mm-hmm. but you're the ones that want to hand out the abortion pills in big cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's let's think about that one. Yep. Um, I know Alex Christie had an interview he did with the 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 black the woman of color, the black lady who's running Planned Parenthood right now. She doesn't get that question a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so it's true. Who's more who's killed more black people? Conservatives or your company? Mm. I think we know the answer. Yeah, yep, it's true. <laughs> but we're still the racist bigots who are for forced birthers. Forced birthers. Yep. That is that is quite a term. <laughs> it's like, well, we didn't force you to have sex. Yeah, yeah. You already are pregnant and it's not now it's on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for coming in, Tier and Rose. Thank you. So the last five minutes or so of Meet the Press were a little fascinating for me on Sunday, or maybe it was just frustrating. Um, it's been 25 years since the news broke via the Drudge Report. Yes, back when the Drudge Report was against the media, as opposed to being in lockstep with the media. Yes, the news broke. President Bill Clinton had an extramarital affair with a young White House intern. Chuck Todd suggested it's a scandal that forever transformed Washington's politics. Yes, they were trying to sell this as a massive turning point. Uh, And, you know, you could suggest it was different in some ways. It was new. It was different in some ways. I think the dramatic way that it felt different to Democrats and reporters you know, the reporters that are Democrats and the Democrats that are reporters, is that there was this instant moment when it happened that they thought this could end the Clinton presidency. That's why they were so concerned about it. You know, George Stephanopoulos went on the Sunday show and said the I word. Uh, You know, and so this is the, uh, they ran a couple of clips. Chuck ran a couple of clips before the break of Tim Rossard interviewing uh, Monica's lawyer, William Ginsburg, he appeared on five Sunday shows all in one Sunday. They called that the full Ginsburg back in the day. But there's just so many things that happened in this segment that were just wrong. They just were not accurate. Uh, you know, this is how Chuck Todd explained it was a presidential lie, an investigation, disappointing Republican midterm impeachment, Senate acquittal, round the clock media coverage and speculation, and the takeoff of a more partisan cable TV news environment. What? That was the start of partisan cable news? I don't think so. Now, I I, I explain this to people. You always remember, Fox News came on the air in 1996, MSNBC came on the air in 1996, and maybe at the beginning those networks weren't what we know now. Uh, You know, MSNBC wasn't what it is now. Um, Fox News wasn't what it is now. 
But, you know, CNN, CNN was more boring. CNN was more of a news channel in the 90s. But CNN had its moments. You know, CNN had, usually they were Ted Turner-inspired wackiness. Uh, you know, and now Ted Turner interviews Castro. This will not end well. Uh, but that was not the worst thing they had to say. Now, it was he had Peter Baker there uh, from the New York Times, who at the time was with the Washington Post. And he, of course, remembers it the way all the journalists remember it. I remember thinking, oh, my God, what have we done? What have we unleashed here? Well, that's the way they felt because somehow Drudge forced their hand. Drudge found that Newsweek and Michael Isikoff were working on a story who knows how long it would have taken for them to publish or not to publish, but it just got a sort of forced. Now, the early coverage, within about three days, the media was hitting itself with a baseball pad. Why are we doing this? They had media madness on the screen. They were all feeling bad about how we caused this or something. You know, and it, I, I laugh and they go, a presidential lie. No, there was not one. There was repeated, repeated, repeated lies. I did not have sex with that woman. And then Hillary Clinton would go and say, this is a vast right-wing conspiracy. Somehow Clinton having sex was a right-wing conspiracy. And this does not make the memory banks when they sit around and meet the press. Now, there was a Republican there, a former staffer for Speaker Boehner. You know, you remember Speaker Boehner, the guy that cries now and says Nancy Pelosi is the best speaker of all time. So it's Brendan Buck. Now, you have a Republican on the panel, and you're like, please bring the alternative point of view, Brendan Buck. But no, of course, he didn't. He just said, yeah, Chuck, I think the tribalism is the right point. It's like, I don't like what you did, but you're my guy and would never give the other side a win. So Brendan Buck is like basically trying to be captain nonpartisan. That's lovely for you. But then he goes on. He's clearly trashing the Trumpers. He talks about politicians now are much more entertainers in their own minds than they are public servants. Now, there may be something to that, but it's the whole idea of I'm going to basically sit here as the Republican on the panel and try aggressively to agree with you on something. It's very annoying, you know, and especially with everything that follows where there's so much inaccuracy and Brendan Buck sits there like a potted plant. So just listen to this particular snippet. I'm going to catch at least three false things in this segment. Give it a listen. No, you definitely saw there. The partisanship of cable exploded. The idea that cable news is a primetime destination right. didn't exist until Monica. But Kimberly, we also want to know the fact that this was an incredibly misogynist thing that happened. This was a, you know, when we talk about Me Too, and I've had younger staff, they, they, they say when they learn the history of it, they don't understand why... There was no discussion of the power dynamic. Yeah. And it's like, that's how immature our debate was back then. Yeah, two decades before Me yeah. Too. You know, I've, over the years, I've had discussions with people who have said their viewpoint about Monica Lewinsky then has changed so profoundly than it is now that someone, this 22-year-old intern, you think about, you know, the kids that you see walking around. 22 intern. We all have 22-year-olds right. walking around our offices. And the, and, and the attacks that were done, the, the politicization, I mean, just, I couldn't imagine being a part of that. She seems to have come out of that uh, with a lot of grace and, and, uh, uh, respect now in retrospect, but it really shows the difference in how believe, up until then, aside from Clarence Thomas, there was an ex-scandal that th that was this public. Now we treat things very differently. 
How many ways is this wrong? Well, we already know. Number one, Chuck says cable news as a primetime destination didn't exist until Monica. That's absolutely not true. Um, you know, you would probably say the real moment for CNN was Gulf War One under George H.W. Bush. That really put CNN on the map. You could also say CNN was a very important primetime destination for Bill Clinton. You know, that was a destination for all the politicians in 1992. You know, Ross Perot was on with Larry King. And George H.W. Bush came on with Larry King on the Friday night before the 92 election. And Larry King let George Stephanopoulos call in. Oh, just randomly happened. No, no, it didn't. All right. Error number two. This one just boggles my mind. Chuck Todd says, there was no discussion of the power dynamic. How immature our debate was back then. Huh? There was absolutely a discussion of the power dynamic, maybe just not happening at NBC News. What he's really saying there was at the time, Democrats wanted to say, well, she's a grown woman. If she decides she wants to have an affair with the president, that's up to her. You know, they, but there was absolutely a discussion of the power dynamic. This is where you get mad when Chuck Todd says to, to a Ron Johnson, I deal in facts. No, you don't. You often mangle facts. Your show is marinated in liberal opinion, and then you say stupid stuff like there was no discussion of the power dynamic in 1998. And then number three, Kimberly Atkins Store says, aside from Clarence Thomas, there wasn't a sex scandal that was this public. Now we treat things very differently. This is, I mean, that's just preposterous. I mean, first of all, let's start with the idea that the Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill thing, it was not a sex scandal. There was no sex. There was no allegation that there was sex. There was an allegation that he talked about long dong silver porn films. That there was a pubic hair on a Coke can. Those were her wacky, crazy QAnon-level claims. Nobody's ever proven them. And yet they treat her as a saint. Saint Anita. She never had to prove anything. She was, she was right the minute she opened her mouth. That's not a sex scandal, NBC. But obviously, the idea that we didn't have a sex scandal that was this public until 1991. I mean, does nobody remember? I can remember stuff from my own childhood. Congressman Wilbur Mills and his stripper, Fanny Fox, ruined his career. In 1981, we had the ab scam thing where John Jen and his wife were having sex on the Capitol steps. In 1983, we had the congressional page sex scandal. That ruined several Republicans. Did not ruin gay Democrat Jerry Studs of Massachusetts. He just rolled right along. In 1984, don't tell me Chuck Todd and Kimberly Atkins store. Don't remember 1984, Gary Hart, Donna Rice. Hello. And then, of course, just Clinton himself in 91 and 92. We had a very public sex scandal in 1992. Jennifer Flowers came forward. Remember her? And then Kristen Welker comes in and says, you know, Monica Lewinsky herself describes herself as patient zero for Internet shaming. And she has talked about being bullied and what that experience was like. And the way that she was treated by this country, by the world, has not aged well. 
Well, who were the people who were shaming Monica Lewinsky? Now, obviously, um, conservatives would have said, she's not the smartest person. Just, I mean, part of the shaming was, did you really think he was going to marry you? You know, there. I think that Monica Lewinsky would admit that that she was a little bit silly, you know, that she thought this was going to be a real a real romance. Is it shaming her to sort of say, seriously, did you think this was a real romance? Did you think he was going to leave Hillary, honestly? But what she's what they're sort of leaving out here is who are the shamers? Well, start with the Clintons. The Clintons were the ones that were basically suggesting she was a, you know, she was an untrustworthy slut. You know, if the if uh, if Monica hadn't saved the dress, you know, the Clintons probably would have just they would have sent out James Carville to say, "Ah, oh, there's nothing going on here." And so when Kristen Welker says so many people have changed their perspectives about how they view that moment, how they viewed her and how they treated her, I say those are the Democrats. Those are the feminists, the feminists that left her behind. Anita Hill sided with Clinton over Lewinsky. Gloria Steinem sided with Clinton over Lewinsky. So yes, maybe some people on the left and the people, the so-called feminists, they're the ones who, oh, the way that they treated Lewinsky is not aged well. But that's not what they're saying when they remember the 25 years. And then just one last thought is that these guys now act like, well, politics has been broken ever since. And Peter Baker says, oh, we have all these big issues. We have the debt ceiling issue. We have a crisis of our democracy. We have the crisis of the war in Ukraine. So many crises. And we can't come together on things. And here again, you just look at the media and you say, seriously? Like you guys are the uniters and the rest of us are the dividers? Do you hear yourself speak? When you talk about there being a crisis of democracy, basically you're pointing the figure at the Republicans. You are so relentlessly partisan, and then you turn around and say, gosh, I wish our politics wasn't so disunited. You're part of the problem. You know, you're part of the problem with our with our divisions and you're part of the problem with misinformation. You think you're the guardians against misinformation when you're handing it out. And that's absolutely what happened here on Meet the Press, trying to remember what happened in 1998. We treat this at length in a chapter or two in our book on Hillary Clinton called Whitewash. So if you want some a little bit of the old flavor of what really happened in 1998, we consider that something you can look at. It's certainly there in our archives at mrc.org. We'd have to dust off all our old videotapes or something to try to look at the whole thing. But when you want to look at how the media covered things, that's when you come to Newsbusters. Once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.